Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya December 2nd, 2013, in Los Angeles, California, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 15, Instructions for Civilized Human Beings, Text 13. Dharma Bado Vidharma Syat Paradharma Nyaktrodita Upadharma Stupakando Dambo Vasha Bhavik Chalaha. Please chant. Dharma Buddha obstructs the execution of one's own religious principles. Vidharmaha against the principles of religion. Syat should be Paradharmaha imitating religious systems for which one is unfit. Anyachoditaha 
which is introduced by someone else. Upadharmaha, concocted religious principles. Two, indeed, Pakandaha, by one who is against the principles of the Vedas standard scriptures. Dambaha, who is falsely proud. Va, or Shabdabit, by word jugglery. Chalaha, a cheating religious system. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. So we're going to have several categories of false dharma. Four categories of false dharma. So see if you can remember what are the four categories of false dharma. Religious principles that obstruct one from following his own religion are called vidharma. Religious principles introduced by others are called paradharma. A new type of religion created by one who is falsely proud and who opposes the principles of the Vedas is called upadharma. An interpretation by one's jugglery of words, words is called chaladharma. So can anybody remember any of those? If you can't remember the Sanskrit, the description. What's some of the descriptions of false dharma? Yes. Chaladharma, jugglery of words, yes. Chala specifically means cheating. Anybody else? Upadharma, concocted religion. Paradharma? By somebody else. Okay, and? Vidharma is? It obstructs your actual dharma. Purport, to create a new kind of dharma has become fashionable in this age. So-called swamis and yogis support that one may follow any type of religious system according to one's own choice because all systems are ultimately the same. In Srimad Bhagavatam, however, such fashionable ideas are called vidharma because they go against one's own religious system. The real religious system is described by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sarvadharma and Parichaja Mame Kamsharanam Raja. The real religious system is that of surrender to the lotus feet of the Lord. In the sixth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, in connection with Ajamil's deliverance, Yamaraj said, Dharmad Tushakshad Bhagavad Pranitam. Real religion is that which is given by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, just as real law is that which is given by the government. No one can manufacture actual law at home, nor can one manufacture actual religion. Elsewhere it is said, Prabhupada didn't say where, he just says elsewhere. But where is that elsewhere? Where is that verse? Shambhagavatam, what canto? The real religious system is that which leads one to become a devotee of the Supreme Lord. Okay, so what's the three things here Srila Prabhupada has given about real religion? Where does it come from? The absolute truth comes from the Supreme Lord. And what did he quote to support that? Dharman Tushakshat Bhagavad Pranitam. Then that's where you get it from. Just like you get real law from the government. You can't make up your own laws. I mean, you can, but they won't work very well. Okay, and then if you've gotten this real Dharma from Krishna, what do you do? What's your activity? Surrender. And what did Prabhupada quote for that? 
What's your result? What happens to you? You get this dharma from Krishna, you surrender, and you become a devotee of the Lord. And what did Prabhupada quote for that? Savaipam Samparodhama. Therefore, anything opposed to this religious system of progressive Krishna consciousness, it's interesting Prabhupada used the word progressive, is called vidharma, paradharma, upadharma, or chaladharma. Misinterpretation of Bhagavad Gita is chaladharma. When Krishna directly says something and some rascal interprets it to mean something different, this is chaladharma, a religious system of cheating, or shabdabit, a jugglery of words. One should be extremely careful to avoid these various types of cheating systems of religion. Dharma badho. Vidharma syat paradharma nachorita upadharma stupankadyo dambhava shababrit chalaha. Religious principles that obstruct one from following his own religion are called vidharma. Religious principles introduced by others are called paradharma. A new type of religion created by one who is falsely proud and who opposes the principles of the Vedas is called upadharma. An interpretation by one's jugglery of words is called chaladharma. Why do we need to know what dharma is altogether? Who cares? Most people in modern society don't care, do they? Apparently. If you go to most people, I'm sure, if you took a poll of most of the people right now in America or in most of the world and said, why is it important to know what's genuine religion? They'd say it isn't. Because generally people today, they lead their lives in a way called secular. Secular means without association with God. That's what secular means. There's no association with God. Just like we just had in this country Thanksgiving. Do you see anything? The symbols of Thanksgiving, are they religious? No. I mean, most of the symbols of Thanksgiving are a turkey that they're going to slaughter. And occasionally you might find, you know, a bunch of vegetables, a horn of plenty, as a symbol of Thanksgiving. You know, the family gathered around the table. But where's God? He's not there. And now they're pushing Christmas, which literally means Christ Mass. But where's God? There's a tree, and there's a fat man with a white beard, and there's reindeer, and there's presents. But where's God? So this is secularism. They take even observances that were originally connected with religion, and they disconnect them. And the propaganda in modern societies, you don't need to know what Dharma is. Just do whatever you want. Like Prabhupada says, there's systems of Dharma that says do whatever you want. So in the modern society, do whatever you want. Live however you want. There's no truth. There's no particular way to be happy. Everybody can make up their own way to be happy. There is no Dharma. But interestingly enough, even people who think they're not interested in Dharma, they're still trying to find Dharma. When people are trying to find, what is Dharma? Really? What's our basic? What's, how does Prabhupada define dharma? Constitutional position, your intrinsic nature. So even people who want nothing to do with God, they have a secular view. On an individual level, a secular view means I interpret my life without reference to the spiritual. I understand what's happening to me without referencing anything spiritual. So even people who have such a view... Are they trying to find their own nature? Are they trying to find what makes them happy? Yes, the Prabhupada is quoting here, Savaipam Sampurodama Yutobhaktir Hoshajay. Ahoytiki Apritiyata. And what's the last line? Yad Yadma Supersidati. It makes you happy. 
One of the evidences that you found real dharma is you become happy. Like one, that's one of the evidences that you've eaten. You feel satisfied. If you say, I've eaten, but I don't feel satisfied, Prabhupada said, either you haven't eaten, you're just like chewing gum, or there's parasites in your stomach. If you, if you actually eat, you should feel satisfied. So if you're truly performing dharma, you should feel satisfied. Susukam kartamavyam, it makes you happy. So are people looking for that which makes them happy? Even people who are secular? And are people trying to find out who they really are, what will make them individually happy? themselves happy? Isn't that what everyone's trying to do? Whether they do it in reference to God or not, that's what people are looking for. So everyone's really looking for what is my dharma? What are the activities I'm supposed to do? What is the way I'm supposed to live that will really fit me? That will make me happy? That I'll realize really who I am? Now, of course, if you have the wrong identity, you have the wrong dharma. So you had yatma superseded to you, trying to make yourself happy. But if you have the wrong idea of who yourself is, you're going to be very confused. So if you think yourself is your body and you think yourself is, you know, I'm a Mexican, I'm an American, I'm a Bolivian, I'm a, you know, whatever. I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm green, I'm purple, I'm brown, I'm whatever. If you're thinking in terms of the body, then you're going to think, well, the way to be happy is in relation to the body, to serve the family that's in relation to the body, to serve the country that's in relation to the body, maybe even to go to the doctor and have my body changed to look the way I want it to look, or so many things. And you'll look for happiness on that level. If you think you're the mind, then you'll look for happiness by joining a political party or uh, by having certain by being involved in literature or something that's going to stimulate your particular mind. So depending on how you define the self, and if you define the self even further, that I'm the mind or the body, and that I've just come from a chemical soup. There was a headline article in the news yesterday that some evolutionist has decided that the real origins of human being was that someday, at some point in time, a gorilla mated with a pig. And that's how human beings came about. So, you know, if that's what you think you are, if you think you have a gorilla mother and a pig father, then your, your idea of what is your dharma is going to change. Does that make sense to everybody? If I'm this body and really what I am is just a pig, or really what I am is just a monkey, or really what I am is just matter, it's all, you know, I am matter, just some chemicals collided in a, some, you know, electrical storm and produced matter, produce life from matter, and that by billions and billions of mistakes created human beings. And not only am I matter, but I matter that's just some kind of the result of a cosmic joke. Mutations, by genetic mutations. I exist by chance. You know, my parents just happened to get lusty one day, and, and here I am. I have no other meaning. So then your idea of Dharma is going to be quite different. So it all comes down to identity. Therefore, one time Srila Prabhupada was, was asking the devotees, how do you preach? And they say, you start preaching there's a God. He says, no, you start preaching you're not this body. The beginning is understanding. I'm a soul. Yadyatma supertitis. Who's the atma? Who's the self? Here it says, what, the religious principles that obstruct one from following his own religion. Well, what's your own religion? You have to know who are you. 
Otherwise, you'll think my own religion is, you know, Eastern Orthodox Christianity or my own religion is Reformed Judaism or my own religion is Tibetan Buddhism or something like that. Or my own religion is, you know, go Chargers football team. And you'll think that that's your religion because you think that's who you are. Like people watching sports, they'll say, and then we took the ball to the finish line, thinking you didn't take it anywhere. You're sitting in your chair. But this is our identity. So first thing to understand Dharma is who am I? And then I can ask, what is my nature? What are the activities that will be in accord with my nature that will make me happy? You know, it's, it's something like a map. If you want to get somewhere, yesterday we drove here from Irvine. So if you want to get to Los Angeles, you need to know, first of all, well, who am I? I'm somebody in Irvine. You have to know where you are, yes? And then you have to get a map from the government. You can't get a map from just some random person. So I'm a soul. All right, where do I get my direction for action? I get my direction from the supreme soul, from God. If I'm this body, then I'm going to get my direction from my parents or from my school or from my government or from my religion or whatever I associate with this body or from the scientists. But if I'm a soul, I'm going to get my direction from God. I'm going to get my map from God that God's going to say, okay, you're part of me. And this is how you become happy. So this idea of surrender is there in all of the dharmas. You know, if you think you're this body and you think you're just matter, then what's your dharma? Surrender to your body. Whatever your body tells you to do, do it. If you think, you know, I'm this body and I'm an American, what's your dharma? Surrender to the government. I'm part of this family. What's your dharma? Surrender to your parents. Surrender to your brother and sister. Surrender to your spouse. Surrender to your children. Whatever you think you are, dharma is going to involve surrender. It's going to involve sacrifice. Sarvagatam Brahman, Nitya, Yajna, Pratistitam. So Krishna says the all-pervading transcendence is eternally situated in acts of sacrifice. God is everywhere, but if you want to find him, you have to go to sacrifice. And you will find that every so-called dharma involves sacrifice. Therefore, Prabhupada described dharma, sanatan dharma, as our sanatan dharma is too. What's the word Prabhupada used? What's our sanatan dharma? Two? One word. Serve. Whatever you think your identity is, we're going to be serving according to that identity. Either I'm just going to be serving my gross senses, or I'm going to be serving my mind, or I'm going to be serving my family, or my country, or my occupation, or my football team, or I'm going to be serving or surrendering to something. So now, wouldn't it be intelligent to ask, who am I really, where should I get my directions from, and who should I serve if I want to be happy? That would be an intelligent question. I have to have an identity. I can't exist without an identity. I have to get directions. I have to have some direction for how I'm going to be happy, whether it's my own mind or whether it's what my teachers told me or whether my, what my father told me or whatever. And then that direction will involve serving somebody and surrendering to somebody. You can't avoid that. It may be surrendering to your own mind. I once visited a school that, uh, not a devotee school, that had a 
a sign up. I follow my mind wherever it goes. <laughs> so for some people surrendering to their, I thought, how awful. I don't always like where my mind goes. So do anybody here always like where their mind goes? Do you always want to follow your mind where it goes? Anybody here always like where their body goes? Do you always want to follow your body? What about your family? Do you always like everything your family does? No? Your country? Anybody here just think everything their country does and their government does is wonderful? They should just follow their country? What about modern science and technology? Have they led us to peace and prosperity? You know, when I was six years old, they were telling us in a few years you're going to be living on the moon and through vaccines and antibiotics there aren't going to be any more diseases. I mean, they were saying this, really, seriously, any of you who are much younger than me. So when I was, I was a little kid, I remember. We have vaccines and antibiotics that we're going to conquer disease. Did they do that? Did they take us there? So if I'm going to serve somebody, I should find where to serve that will take me to real happiness. So what are the qualities of dharma? How do you know you found the real dharma? How do you know? It's a good question, isn't it? How do you know? I mean, we can say, okay, it's got to come from God. But many people say their dharma comes from God, yes? Are we the only ones on the planet? Only we, how many people do we have here? 25, 30. So are we, are we 25, 30 people sitting in this room? Are we the only ones on the planet saying that our dharma comes from God? So suppose you figure out that much, you know, my dharma comes from God. How do you know it comes from God? What's our evidence procedures that we have the real dharma? How do you know? Parampara. Okay, there's got to be a parampara. So that's one of the cheating dharmas here. Somebody just makes up their own religion. There's a lot of religions like that on the planet today. Some person just sits down, has some sort of, you know, meditation or revelation. Oh, I've got a new religion. By the way, there's major religions on the earth with thousands or tens of thousands or even millions of followers that started like that. That somebody just said, oh, I, I figured out a new religion. I've written a new scripture. Did you know that? It's common. This is not just like some weird person with ten followers. Many branches of Christianity were started like that. Okay, I, I have my own revelation. Okay, so there has to be a parampara. So Satsubhamaraj so tells the story when he was at a book distribution in an airport. And one young man came up to him and said, well, I don't need to follow this. I have my own master. And Satsubhamaraj so asked him, oh, who's your master's master? Oh, my master doesn't have a master. He said, oh, then he's God. He's Mahakrishna. So there has to be a parampara. You have to learn from someone who's learned from someone who's learned from someone who's learned from God. What are some more evidences that it's real dharma? Okay, you have guru, sadhu, and shastra. It's mentioned in the shastras. It's taught by the guru, and it's evidenced by the sadhus. So Krishna tells Arjuna this. He says, many, many persons in the past have followed this system and achieved perfection. So you should see that somebody's following it and they're achieving what they're supposed to achieve. 
Somebody should be successful. We have even people right now saying nobody in the Hare Krishna movement is successful at achieving pure, pure Krishna consciousness. If you really believe that, why are you following Krishna consciousness? If you really believe that nobody is successful, choose something where you think people are successful. What's the point of that? I'm going to follow this and not become successful. So there should be people who are successful. There should be people historically who are successful. And there should be contemporary people who are successful. There should be sadhus. And there should, it should be in Shastra. It shouldn't be something that somebody's made up. So those three authorities. In empiric studies, we call this triangulation, where you have evidence from more than one source. How else do you know it's real dharma? Direct experience. You should be able to get a direct experience. And that direct experience should be blissful. It should be satisfying. It should make you satisfied and happy. So other people say, if I eat there, I become satisfied. And you see they're satisfied. And you eat there, and you become satisfied. One should find one's material desires diminishing not because one hates materialism, but because one is satisfied. One should feel completely full. One should feel completely satisfied and feel, I don't want anything else. That, of course, is the main evidence procedure. That one feels happy, one feels satisfied. And the happiness that one should achieve should be happiness that Rupa Goswami says derides even liberation. Rupa Goswami gives six symptoms of being in bhakti that it relieves one of distress, that it's auspicious, right? that it gives happiness, that derides liberation, it attracts Krishna. Any other way we know we're in a real system of dharma? It gives you pure love. You should start falling in love with God. When we met with Prabhupada in 1974, my father asked Srila Prabhupada, can I come to the temple if I have my own religion? And Prabhupada said, yes, there can be many religions as long as the goal is to know God and to love him. He said, if there's not the goal, that's not the goal, what is the meaning to many religions? He said, just like many planes are going to Chicago, but if they don't know they're going to Chicago, what is the meaning of many planes? So one should be falling in love with God. Love for God should be awakening. One should, become, one should be becoming more and more and more attached to Krishna. One devotee, who happens to be a leader in our Hare Krishna movement, said to me not that long ago, you know, Ormila, my problem is that I'm very conscious of Krishna consciousness, but I'm not very conscious of Krishna. So we should be becoming more and more conscious of Krishna. I was just hearing Prabhupada say that yesterday. How, you know, the price is eagerness. He gave the story of that thief who heard a Bhagavatam class, how Lord Krishna wears so many jewels. And he went to Vrindavan because he wanted to steal Krishna's jewels. But he was so eager to see Krishna that Krishna revealed himself. And then he asked Krishna politely, may I please have your jewels? And Krishna said, well, no, my mommy might get angry. But anyway, but I was saying that's the eagerness. So real religion will make you fall in love with God. What are some other symptoms of being in a real religious system? Hmm? 
You'll develop good qualities. Like here, one false religious system comes from pride. So if you're in a real religious system, you should become humble. You should become respectful. If you're not at peace in your So if you say you're in a religious system, but you're becoming more and more arrogant and you don't respect anybody and you demand that everybody respect you, then you're not in a real religious system. So these are some of the symptoms of following real dharma. Now what's tricky is that fake dharma can look like real dharma. Rupa Goswami warns us that there are weeds that can look like bhakti. So even if you figured out, okay, I'm a soul, and dharma should come from God, and it should make me a devotee of God, even if you've got that right, which hardly anybody on the planet has that right, one can still become fooled. One can take something that's not bhakti and think that it's bhakti, and this can happen and does happen, even in our Hare Krishna movement. We have people that can go on for 20, 30, 40 years, where they, all they become is angry and dissatisfied. Have you seen this? Has anyone seen this? And disrespectful and proud. I'm following the real Dharma. Well, that's funny. So we should be careful for this, yes? Otherwise, we won't get Yadyatma supersedity. We won't get the happiness that we are all seeking. We won't get the satisfaction that we're seeking. We won't get the love of God that we're seeking. So let's quickly go through some of these. So one, one, ops, one false dharma is something that keeps you from following your real dharma. It looks like dharma, but when you do it, you can't do the real thing. So one, one thing that can do this is a suri varnashram. If you're taking up varnashram in a materialistic way, thinking that you're this body, that can keep you from doing the real dharma, can't it? Then you'll just think, oh, I've just got to be a good husband, or I've got to be a good government officer, or I've got to be a good priest, or I've got to be... And Krishna consciousness becomes secondary, or tertiary, or number 10,000 on your list. I'm just going to be a good person in the world. And because I'm going to be a good person in the world, then... You know, I, I don't have any time for Krishna consciousness. So what's... Then here we have imitating religious systems for which one is unfit, Prabhupada says in the word for word. And in the translation he says, introduced by others. Something that's meant to be followed by others. So when Prabhupada uses the word in this purport, progressive Krishna consciousness... So although each of us wants to be in genuine Krishna consciousness, we also need to apply Krishna consciousness according to our particular level of advancement. And ideally, that's done in consultation with our guru, our gurus, we should say, diksha, shiksha, gurus, to understand where am I exactly. Because how bhakti should be performed is a little different at different stages of advancement. Bhaktivinoda Thakur describes this in Bhakti Loka in the heading of Niyamagraha, where he talks about how there's different rules for different stages of bhakti. And he said you can have a problem if you try to go too fast and also if you try to go too slowly. So many times in our Hare Krishna movement we preach against going artificially too fast, but there's also a problem with going artificially too slowly. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says if you try to go too slowly, then it'll be like chains around your feet. So one should understand where one is and one should follow 
bhakti in a way that's suitable for one's particular level of advancement. So we have, right, the different stages that are described by Rupa Goswami, Vajnakriya, Nista, Ruchi, Ashakti, Bhava, Prema, and so forth. And this is described further by Bhakti Nautakura and Jaiva Dharma, where he talks about that the specific religious principles are a little different depending on one's stages of advancement. So one should know where one is, and one should follow the process of bhakti according to one's stage in consultation with one's gurus, with, one's, with senior Vaishnavas, with sadhus. And when one's ready to advance to the next stage, then one should do that. Just like even externally, when a person's ready to marry, they should marry. A person shouldn't artificially stay in the brahmacharya ashram when they're really ready to marry. It causes havoc, yes? And a person shouldn't artificially stay in the grahasta ashram when they're ready to renounce. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes? When one's ready to move on to the next stage, one should move on. But one should not move on to the next stage artificially. One should not say, you know, I'm 25 years old, I just had a big fight with my wife, my kid has been screaming all night, okay, I think I'm going to renounce. You know? So one shouldn't artificially do that, but nor one should be, you know, I'm 60 years old, and I think I'm going to, you know, marry some young girl and have a, a, 10 children. And one should be at the proper, st- and this is true also not only on a material level, we're just talking about as a material level, but this is also true on a spiritual level. One shouldn't say, okay, well, I've been in the Hare Krishna movement for a week, I haven't even read Bhagavad Gita, and I'm going to go and read Govinda Lilamrita. But if one comes to the point, like I met one devotee, very serious devotee, who told me, she said, well, some sannyasi just came through here and said we should not think about Krishna when we're chanting Hare Krishna. So I said, well, that's rather odd because Krishna says you should think about him all the time. So, okay, now it's Hare Krishna time. I'm going to turn off the thinking about Krishna. It seemed rather odd to me. She said, well, since I've been following that instruction, my job has been very distressing. I said, well, what did you used to do during job? She said, well, used to be as soon as I started to chant, Immediately, I would see the pastors of Vrindavan and Krishna and Balaram running in the pastors of Vrindavan. He said, but, you know, this Maharaj came and told me I wasn't allowed to think of Krishna when I was chanting. So I've been, I've been pushing that away. And I said, well, that's like you're calling Krishna, Krishna, and he knocks at your door and you say, please go away. So if when you chant Hare Krishna, you, you naturally see Krishna and Balaram running in the pastors of Vrindavan. So one should do that. One shouldn't tell Krishna to go home. So one shouldn't do something that's more advanced than one is at, and one shouldn't do something that's less advanced than one is at. That is called paradharma. And then a new type of religion created by uh, one who is falsely proud and who opposes the principles of the Vedas. So somebody who just, they, again, they make up their own religion. I don't think we have too much of that problem in our Hare Krishna movement. But it's certainly a problem in the world. People are constantly making up new religions. They may not even call it a religion, but they're constantly making up some new principles of dharma. Okay, the dharma today is just do whatever feels good for you, you know, right? Isn't it? Some, some new diet, some new way of living, and they, they make new laws that now this thing that used to be a crime is now legal, and this thing that used to be legal is now a crime. And Yes, isn't this happening? Constantly making up new dharmas. And then interpretation by jugglery of words. So we definitely have a problem with this. 
people taking the Shastra and selectively taking certain quotes just to bolster their own point of view and interpreting those quotes in a different way and, and presenting some new philosophy based on some new interpretation. And of course, we have this outside of our movement constantly, people taking Bhagavad Gita or the Bible, the Quran, and interpreting it, you know, well, when God says thou shalt not kill, well, he really meant don't kill people, and he really meant don't kill people as long, only if they're already out of the womb. And, you know, so they're, they're, they're always twisting things in order to suit their own philosophy. But frankly, we also have this tendency, because cheating, this is called the cheating, the chala dharma, this cheating is a tendency of all conditioned souls. So that means that any conditioned soul has a tendency, even when working with actual scriptures, to turn them in order to suit their own purposes. So one should both know what real dharma is and one should know what false dharma is, both the positive and the negative. So we should be very careful. Am I following the real Dharma? When we want to make decisions, what do I do in the next five minutes? What do I do today? What do I do in the next week? What do I do with my life? It should be this question, what's, what's my Dharma? What's my Dharma? Who am I? What is my primary Dharma? I might have secondary Dharmas, but the primary should never be eclipsed by the secondary. So there may be secondary dharmas of, of karma and gyan, but they should never eclipse bhakti. I may have some work to do in the world, but that should not eclipse bhakti. So who am I? What is my primary dharma? Let me not do anything which is going to obstruct that dharma. Let me follow that dharma as per my own level, under superior guidance, and let me take the Dharma as it is, without change. And if I'm really following Dharma, then I should be achieving the results of Dharma. Arjuna asked in the Bhagavad Gita, what are the results? How, what are the symptoms of one who's actually achieved Dharma? And mostly Krishna talks about being what? Second chapter, 14th chapter. What is the symptom he most gives in all different varieties? You're not the body. Yeah. Being detached, being equipoised from the material world, being equipoised in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, heat and cold, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy. Being peaceful and coming to joyfulness in love of God. So these are the symptoms we should see in our life. You should be saying, I'm achieving the goal of Dharma. As we're on this progressive Krishna consciousness, we should be coming to those landmarks of our progress and see, I'm actually on the right path. You know you're on the right path. Today on my Japa walk, I turned on Cardiff instead of Watsika. I walked all the way down Watsika as far as you can go, and then I turned right pretty much as far as you can go. And then when I came back, instead of turning left on Watsika, I turned left on Cardiff. So how could I tell I was on the wrong road? The landmarks weren't there. All of a sudden, I said, wait a minute. I don't remember this. This is not the landmarks I'm looking for. Yes? So then I knew, okay, I took a cheating dharma path. You follow? Of course, I was able to get back. So we should have landmarks that tell us, am I in, in the real dharma or am I in the cheating dharma? Am I doing what's real Krishna consciousness or not what's Krishna? Am I becoming more arrogant or am I becoming more humble? 
Am I becoming more tolerant or am I becoming less tolerant? Am I becoming more peaceful or am I becoming more fearful? Am I falling in love with Krishna? Am I thinking about Krishna? Am I thinking about Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes? Am I absorbed in Krishna? Am I becoming attached to Krishna? Am I becoming attracted to Krishna? Am I starting to see, as Prabhupada says in the 20th chapter of Krishna book, am I starting to see that everything is happily situated, or do I see the world as aggressive and friends and enemies? Do I respect others, or am I always criticizing others? Do I want respect for myself, or does it not matter to me? Fame or infamy, honor or dishonor. And finally, am I starting to awaken as to my real identity and figure out who I am? Not just generically, I'm a soul, but specifically, what soul? Who am I? Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, chanting Hare Krishna awakens one's spiritual identity. So thank you very much. Questions, comments? Yes, Prabhu. Okay. Do we have time for a hot debate? It's got to be. And that's, it can be hot as long as it's short. All right. A deep hot, hot and sweet. As long you know, you brought up the point about knowing where you are and, and moving on to the next stage. Yes. But at the same time, you made it seem like it's something external, based on age, for instance. Oh, you I gave, gave an example. You, you gave that example of somebody who's like, say, 60 and wants to marry again. But maybe that person's doing the society a favor. Maybe if they went on to the next stage artificially, they would make more trouble than getting married again at 60. You see what you follow my point? Yes. It so can't be an external sign that we say, I see that you're this age, therefore you should do such and such. Maybe the person actually knows themselves. And they, they figure the best thing for me to do, even though I'm 60 years old, is to get married again rather than artificially being a Vanaprastha or a Sannyasi. Or That's true. No hot debate. For Shudras, the only ashram is Grahastra. There's no other ashram. And for Vaishas, the only ashrams are Brahmachari and Grahastra, no Vanaprastha, no Sannyas. So if a person is able to see, wait, by my nature, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to do this. I'm just going to cause a disturbance in society. Yes, better than I cause a disturbance in society. But I was speaking in, in general. But yes, when it comes to individuals, it may be something different. You can't, you can't just say individual. Like, you can't just say by years in the movement. You can't say, okay, well, you've been in the movement 20 years. All right, now you can read the Rasa Shastras because, I mean, Bhagavad Gita Shastras, Rasa Shastras, Chaitanya, but you understand what I'm saying. Yes, Prabhu. Thank you for a very nice class. Uh, <clears throat> I guess I have to give an example because I'm not quite sure how to um, say it. But, you know, you were, you were mentioning something about, like, someone trying to find or know, what, you know, where they are. And uh, I thought it was a very good point. Uh, sometimes when we find that somebody gets sick, and when they're sick, they're, they don't know what's going on with them. They, they, they can't figure it out. But... Uh, but maybe let's say they like to eat a certain kind of food. Maybe it's very acidic or very pungent. But they're really attached to that food. But they don't believe that that's really getting them sick. Mm. Do, do you, you, you kind of like Okay, so point? a person's attached to a food, yeah, and that food say, is making say, them sick. Yeah, and they don't realize it. They don't realize it is making. Yeah, so them sometimes sick. we find that people think they too should be somebody or something, mm. and they're actually not qualified to be that something or that whatever that may be. Yes. So how do, how do we approach this? In other words, you know, sometimes people think they should be doing certain things, but they're not qualified to do it, although they really want to do it. In other words, they really press it. They really, uh, you know, try to do it. And they really try to force it. Mm. And they really try to help everybody understand that they've got to do that. 
in so many ways. And, and, and then it can create even havoc, like this person that's sick who eats his food yes. and refuses to take. So how, how, do we, how do we try to train that person or teach that person how to, you know, drop that, how to leave that and go do something that's more Krishna conscious, let's say, or whatever? It's so hard because in modern <laughs> society, people don't respect authority anymore. No. Right. And this is happening even in your more traditional societies, like even in China and in India, people's respect for authority is diminishing. I, I mean, I, having been a teacher for so many years, I mean, when I was a little kid, my parents didn't argue with the teachers. And by the time I became a teacher, arguing with the teachers was like, you know, the pastime. <laughs> and it's gotten so bad. I mean, I was just recently at one of our ISKCON schools in, in India, and there were parents screaming publicly at the, at the teachers, you know, how dare you make me pay my school fees on time? Screaming. And screaming at the teachers in front of the children. So, I, you know, the answer to that is very simple, but the application of it is very difficult right now. The answer is very simple. You have real authorities who can give you genuine, truthful advice. But one problem is that we don't always have such good authorities. Our authorities may tell us what we're suited to do, not because we're actually suited to do it, but because that's what they want somebody to do. So, you know, our authority may say, well, you're not qualified for that. You're qualified for this, just because they have a need that they need to meet. They don't really care about our personal qualifications. So we have that problem with bogus authorities. And then we just have a problem that we don't trust authority. So if somebody says... You know, okay, you're not qualified to do this. You have to wait. You have to get more training. You have to, you know, it, or you're not qualified for this, and you're never going to be qualified for this. It doesn't matter how much training you get. It's just not your nature. Forget it. Do something else. Uh, we don't want to listen. Or you're not qualified for this, and if you want to be qualified for this, this is what you have to do. You have to take this course, and you have to be an apprentice here, and you have to do this, and then you can be qualified. Or even the other situation where we sometimes say to people, you are qualified for this, and you go and do it. You know, get up and go do it. You are qualified. No, 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 I don't want to do it. And, and we see this, I'm going to be really frank, I mean, we see this in our movement, even people with their spiritual masters. You know, I mean, I know of an instance where a person who was initiated asked her spiritual master, you know, and she would go to the spiritual, oh, I'm so surrendered to you, Gurudev, I'll do whatever you say, you know, that kind of disciple. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll, I'll lick the dust from where your footprints are. And then she said, I, I want to start worshiping my own deity. And the spiritual master said, well, I really would prefer that you not do that. I'd like to, you know, you should wait until you're second initiated and be trained. And, and then two days later, oh, Gurudev, Gurudev, I just went and bought a deity. How should I worship him? That's a true story. But this is, it's, it's quite common. So... I don't know. Why don't we all just try to be humble? That might be a good start. You know, like, maybe I don't know everything, and maybe I need some guidance from somebody else would be a really good start. And my understanding of the essence of adharma is force. If you want to, if you want to talk about adharma with one word, the word would be force. Dharma is to serve, to give. And adharma is to force, to try to force yourself, to try to force others, to try to force nature, to try to force God. 
it's like the difference between, you know, somebody willingly giving you something and you're stealing it. Or probably says the difference between love and rape. You know, you're trying to force something. So if you're trying to force yourself to do something, but you have to be a little self-aware huh? to notice that you're forcing and to notice that you're forcing everybody else around you and everybody else is agitated. You have to be a little humble and, and aware. I mean, that may not help on a practical level, but that, that unfortunately, there really isn't another answer to that. You know, have somebody in your life that you trust, please, that you can go to and say, what am I good at and what am I bad at? What could I be good at with training? What will I not be good at even with a thousand years of training? You know, where, where, where am I situated? What am I ready for? What am I not ready for? And one of the, a real turning point in my life was actually one of my sons who was talking to me and said, Mata, you're not doing what you're able to do. You're, 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 you're not doing what you're ready for. He said, you're actually ready to take this step and you're not doing it. And, and I trusted him and I took the step and immediately I felt joyful. Immediately felt joyful and peaceful. I'm like, oh, wow, I should have taken that step years ago. So I have somebody in your life that you trust who says, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, 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 don't do that. <laughs> or come on, do that. <laughs> yes. Scriptures. So I was, uh, my question would be that if within our movement someone accepts Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Prabhupada as the pure representative, uh, following the four regulative principles and chanting 16 rounds, but uh, I had my unique way to spread Krishna consciousness, uh, would that follow in a follow in the category of like deviation or like jugglery or something? Ooh, or is there a room for independence and, and an intelligent way to actually bring people? Yeah, that, that's such, I, my answer would be that's so individual. I mean, we met, we once had come to visit us in North Carolina to our Gurukula, a Catholic monk who lived in a monastery who was initiated in ISKCON and was chanting 16 rounds, following the principles, reading Prabhupada's books, but continuing to live in a Catholic monastery as a Catholic monk. He spoke to our children, age 5 to 18, for two hours, and the children didn't move. They didn't speak. They didn't move. I don't think they blinked. They were, I never saw them like that before or since. And he was explaining how he was being a devotee of Krishna and a follower of Srila Prabhupada while remaining in a Catholic monastery. Um, I know one Gurukuli who circumstantially, uh, he was in Gurukula for elementary school, but for high school, there was no Gurukula for high school, so his Jewish relatives paid for him to attend a Jewish high school, a yeshiva, where he became ordained as a rabbi. He's also a second-initiated devotee. And he may still be, but for many, many years, he was a teacher of Jewish law in a yeshiva. And in, in order to have his job, he had to dress like that. So he had the payas and the whole thing, you know. But he's a second-initiated devotee. He was born in the movement, brought up in the movement. And, I mean, he knows the Vedic Shastras in and out, and he knows the Jewish scriptures in and out. Very unusual person. But he's not changing Prabhupada's philosophy. 
Um, another interesting example I know of is a Muslim iman. You know what an iman is, like a rabbi or a priest. And he teaches other imans. He's in a Muslim country. And he's never met a devotee personally. But he took initiation over the mail from one guru in our movement. Even his wife doesn't know that he's a devotee. If his wife knew he was a devotee by Islamic law, she could divorce him and get custody of the children. So, you know, the Muslims have their prayer beads, but on his prayer beads he's chanting his 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna mantra. You know, and he's offering his food. I'm not sure how he does that. And he's reading Srila Prabhupada's books. So I don't, I don't think we would say that any of those three people are not authentic devotees. At the same time, we've seen people who try to mix Srila Prabhupada's instructions with all kinds of other things and, and, and water them down and distort them. So you, we see both. We see that one can be authentic, an authentic follower of Srila Prabhupada, although one may be externally in some other religious system, and that one can be, hey, we see people who are members of ISKCON and who do weird things. Yes? Yes. So... Yes. Yeah. You really have to see individually. So it, it, it says in Chaitanya Charitamrita that each branch will have hundreds of sub-branches. And we're a branch, so that will mean that we have hundreds of sub-branches. So how do you know if a branch is connected to the tree? This is an easy question. Well, how do you know, though? They'll be alive. They'll have the same fruit. So just like Jesus said, you judge a tree by its fruit. Prabhupada said the same thing. You judge by its fruit. It has to taste the same. Like Prabhupada, when Prabhupada was on the planet, he had a disciple who wanted to start his own movement. And Prabhupada said yes. He said a tree is beautiful if it has many branches. He said, but the fruit must taste the same. So, you know, what fruit do you have? And again, I'm going to be very honest. You can be officially in the Hare Krishna movement and you can be producing another kind of fruit. We see it. We see people, they're, they're externally in the Hare Krishna movement and, they, and they're producing this bitter fruit of Vaishnava Parad. Yes? Have you seen this? Has everybody seen this? And they're not falling in love with Krishna. They're falling in love with their own ego. So how do you know you're connected? It's not just official. If you're connected, then you'll have the same fruit. Judge a tree by its fruits. So what are the fruits? That's why Arjuna asked, what are the fruits? What is the second chapter, 14th chapter, 26 qualities of a devotee in the Uddhava Gita? Now, Mahaprabhu is giving to um, Sanatana Goswami, I think, the nine symptoms of bhava. So there are symptoms, and at least a lot of them are objective. Some of them are subjective. But a lot of them are objective. And it's tricky because weeds can look like bhakti. It's tricky. You know, sometimes you can be fooled. But you have the same fruits. I mean, for myself, I like to kind of keep it simple, and I'm just happy to. I don't really want to. 
I have my own radicalness, but at least in that way, I'm very conservative. But I see that Mahaprabhu's movement is going to spread all over the world, and I see practically that there are devotees who are spreading Mahaprabhu's movement all over the world in ways that I personally probably wouldn't do. But anyway, I have to judge by the fruit. Whether you live, just like Prabhupada was asked in Hawaii, is it, do you make more advancement living in the temple ashram? He said that depends on whether or not one's mind is on a different subject matter. So anyway, I would judge individually. I wouldn't say that, you know, anyone who lives in a Catholic monastery, even if they're following the process, must be bogus. Is that all right? And I wouldn't say that anyone who lives in a Hare Krishna ashram is definitely bona fide. But generally, the success of a religious movement is if a, a large percentage of the people are falling in love with Krishna. That's what Prabhupada said. To know God and to love him. If they're knowing God and they're loving God. My sister became an ultra-Orthodox Jew after I became a devotee. And she wouldn't talk to me for a long time. And then after her son died, she talked to me. And I said, so describe God. And she said, I can't. I've only been practicing for 10 years. To know God and to love him. After you've been in the Hare Krishna movement for a week, you can describe God, yes? So to know God and to love him. And then secondary, to be developing the 26 qualities of a devotee. That's a bona fide religious movement. People should know God and they should love him. And then they should be developing all the good qualities of the demigods. And if they're doing it, not everybody, you know, because not everybody in a bona fide religious movement is going to be serious. What can you do? I mean, Harvard's a bona fide university, even though some of the students just go to parties and get drunk, yes? That doesn't disqualify Harvard. But somebody better be getting educated. If nobody's getting educated, then that's a problem. So they ought to, they, you know, how do you, they tell us bona fide. Not just that they have the stamp from the government, that they're accredited, but you look at the graduates and they'll say, oh, here's our graduates and this is where they work and they're making so much money. And, isn't it? Yes? These are the qualifications of our professors. So we should have... At least a certain percentage of the members of our Hare Krishna movement, at least those who are really serious, we should be seeing. And we are seeing. I mean, we do see. I see. I see so many very advanced devotees all over the world. Some of them with big titles and some of them with no titles. Some of them washing the pots and, you know, some of them leading the kirtan, some of them renunciates, some of them householders, some of them with little babies, some, you know. Some of them with jobs, some of them just, I, I, I meet devotees all over the world who are exhibiting the qualities of a devotee and who are knowing and loving God and achieving real Krishna consciousness. So that's good enough for me. And if you go to other systems, you don't see that so much, at least. I don't see that so much if I go to other religious systems. Something, but not so much. Is that all right? I don't want to go on any longer. Thank you. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.